Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Ben. Welcome to Four Corners Church. We're so looking forward to Christmas Eve Eve. And as you've been told, there are a couple invites on your seat to invite some friends uh, to be with you. So uh, I took a stack of them with me, and I'm at about number nine invite right now. My goal is to hit 20. Uh, and of those 20, I'm hoping, you know, 20 of them come, just to be honest with you. Uh, that's what I want to see happen. And I can't think of a better way to give a meaningful Christmas gift to people I care about than to let them meet all of you, honestly. Uh, I think you're some of the finest people in all of Cincinnati, and I want everybody I care about in this region to be a part of a church family like this because it's a gift that honestly gives over and over and over again. And so if you invite your friends to be with us on Christmas Eve Eve, um, they're going to be around some incredible people. And maybe, just maybe, God will touch their heart and maybe they'll feel the love of this place, and who knows what God won't do with that over the course of the next 10, 20 years of their lives. Uh, one of the ways that uh, we kind of take advantage of the Christmas season in the best way possible and get into the spirit of what God was doing when he sent his son is we do a thing called the My Christmas Gift Offering. And uh, it's the only time of year that we really talk a whole lot about the offering. And it's really an offering that doesn't just serve this church. It serves literally around the world. And I want to take just a couple minutes today and give you a really some good news and kind of show you where this thing is going. So our goal, just to start with, is 100% participation of everybody who calls this church home, that they would give something to the offering. So anything. Um, what that means is if you don't have a lot of money right now, you're in a situation where you don't have any excess, that's okay. Give something as a token, a dollar. $5. That would be fine. And then you would be a part of this with your church family. So if everybody gives something, then we have a major win. And then the dollar amount we're shooting for to fund all the stuff that we want to do is $80,000. That's, that's a lot of money. It represents just over a month's worth of income for us. Uh, typically, we are somewhere in the $70,000 range a month around here. If you're a member, you know that because you get the updates. And uh, everybody that gives this year, you'll get the year-end financial accountability report we send out in January. So you'll know all all that stuff. But $80,000 allows us to do some pretty incredible things. I have four pictures I want to show you up here on the page. I'm just going to put the first one up for me right now. This is a picture of our campus in India. We call it 4C India. The building here on the right uh, side of the screen, that is the church building that we built before we got in our space. We've been in this building. Tomorrow will be seven years. Um, which is pretty incredible. God's done some great things here. But before we had a permanent church home, we built that building right there on the right. Um, we gave them money to build that church home. I've been into, in that building on three different occasions. It's pretty spectacular. And on the left through the trees, that is the girls' home. So this is, this is both a church, an orphanage, and a church planting ministry. There's about 14 pastors in India that we support. And the primary ways that we help them is through sponsorships of about 40 girls girls and a dozen or so boys. And in addition, every Christmas, we give them an infusion of money. So our Christmas offering this year is going to also go to help continue to develop the campus and the ministry at 4C India. This is the place we've been invested in almost 10 years. It's pretty remarkable what God has done because you've been gracious. And so this money doesn't help us. This money invests in the kingdom and invests in the orphan and invests in pastors who are serving communities where there's poverty, unlike a level anybody here in this room has ever experienced. It's ridiculous, the level of poverty there. So a few American dollars goes a very long way in India. And when you give to the Christmas offering, this is what you're helping with. So go ahead and show them the next picture if you don't mind. Uh, this this is a picture of a couple years ago of what our, um, what our South Warehouse on this side of the building looked like before we developed a kids' ministry space. The reason I'm showing you this picture is every year the Christmas offering goes to help a handful of advancements in our space here. This building is not our goal. We are not about buildings. We're about people. But the tool of our building allows us to do some incredible work with people. And a few years ago at a Christmas offering, like the one we're doing now, we gave some money to buy carpet squares and renovate a space. And if you've dropped off a kid in our preschool area our new student area, uh, in our elementary area, or if you've seen the new adult ministry area right off our lobby in a new area called Next Steps, all that was done because of things like the Christmas offering. Our normal budget doesn't cover this kind of stuff. So what we do is we get together and we say, God, if we give a little bit of money and we use it in this building, would you do some great things? So this year, we're setting aside a small portion of the $80,000 to just keep our space looking fresh, clean, neat, and inviting for people. We don't have a major project that we're doing, but we have a handful of upgrades we want to do in students, in the adult ministry spaces, and with kids. Go ahead and show them the next picture as well. 
Um, this is a picture that on the forefront of the picture, there's a couple. If you've been around for a while, maybe you recognize them. These are the pastors in Cuba. We don't call it 4C Cuba, but we're about to. I'm initiating that today. Um, this is Pastor Jose and his wife, Yami, and they are at a pastor's conference in Cuba. This is our partnership in Cuba. Every year for the last couple of years, we've raised money to help in Cuba. We've had these pastors on our stage. They do an incredible work. And with Pastor Jose and Yami, under their leadership and Pastor Kevin, who actually goes to, to this church, facilitates this, there are some 14 pastors in Cuba that we support. Some of them are in the audience right behind Pastor Jose and Yami. They're actually at a pastor's conference. And I wanted you to notice one thing. Um, I don't know what you think about Cuba. Um, they have some rough things going on right now. But behind Pastor Jose and Yami are these pastors, and an inordinate number of them are incredibly young. They're young pastors. God's doing something profound and fresh and new in Cuba. And we believe that God has given us a unique perspective and opportunity to help do this fresh thing. God's gripping the hearts of young men and women, and in, as couples sometimes, um, they're going out into new areas where a large church is 30 people in Cuba. A large church is 30 people. And they're going there, and most of them have to work secular jobs. Some of these pastors, we give them a little bit of money to take the edge off financially. But we're going to see God use some of these people for 30, 40, and 50 years. So the investment we're making now in this ministry is going to give for decades. That's an incredible return on the investment. And that's not even counting the eternal impact that's being made. So I'm really, really excited and I have no shame to ask you to give to the Christmas offering because of the profound investment it makes. Let me show you one more, one more picture. It, it might be just a little interesting to you there. Um, yeah, this is, a, uh, this is a guy changing the oil on a car. So through a weird, interesting series of events, um, we've been trying to ask, answer this question. How do we serve people in need right here in our church family? And then if we do that well, could we branch out and help some more people? So what we're going to do as a result of this Christmas offering is we actually have already secured a lift just like that one right there, a four-post lift that's going to go in our garage back here. And we're going to, for single moms, for seniors on a budget, for our families in our church that are on a tight budget, we're going to offer very basic car maintenance for free. By the end of the first quarter of 2020, um, this will be installed, the systems will be in place, and if you have a need in the church, if you know of a need in the church, you can send people a simple link. They sign up, tell us what kind of car they have, pick a time slot to come, and when they come into our building with their car, we'll change their oil, check their brakes, look at their wiper blades, look at their lights, and do basic car maintenance for single moms, elderly people on a tight budget, and our families on a tight budget. And we'll start in the first quarter or so serving our church family. And by the second quarter, we'll ask you guys to help us find a handful of people that we can serve. And by the time we get to the third quarter of 2020, all funded by this Christmas offering, our goal is to gently launch into the community a single mom's car care ministry. And so, yeah, isn't that cool? That's really, really awesome. It's really awesome. And so here's the thing. It's just one more way we serve here. So currently we serve in our building. We're going to serve in our building more serving needs in our community. The Bible says that we're to take care of the needs of the household of God. And in this church, since we're about families, our hearts go to those that are in economically troubled times and specifically to single unwed moms, perhaps, um, or to moms who've had a divorce situation or, or, and dads as well. And also to the widow and the elderly. That's a biblical value as well. So we're going to do this and we're going to dedicate a few thousand bucks to make this happen. And we have some men in the church that want to help. If you're in interested in helping with this, on the back of your Connect cards, just call it CARS. I'll help with the CARS thing, all right? And we'll communicate with you right in early January as we get the team built up. And we're thinking that we'll do this like one Saturday a month, but ultimately, we'd love to do it every other Saturday with 
with um, scheduled um, appointments lined up so we can get the right parts and all that stuff there. And uh, we're not going to like go into full-on transmission changes and all. We, we can't do that stuff. But we can change the oil. We can put filters in. We can do light bulbs. For a few thousand bucks a year, we can serve needs right here. And our prayer is that it would take the edge just off of these families a bit. And then while their cars are here, some of our knowledgeable men and women who will help make this happen, they'll say things like, hey, I think you might need some brakes or you might need this thing here. And go here. You can trust this guy. And just take the edge off something that can be overwhelming. If transportation goes away for families in the suburbs in any dramatic way, it has a profound negative impact on the family, and we don't want that to happen. Now, there are two or three other things that we're going to talk about over the coming weeks. But the reason I've taken about 10 minutes so far is I wanted you to hear with absolute clarity where your money goes. We don't believe that you should just trust us because we're awesome people. Now, let's be clear. We're awesome people, and you should trust us. But that's not what we're asking you to do. So around here, every penny that we take in and spend, we report where it goes. I mean, there's nothing hidden here. We are transparent, all right? And then when we do an offering like this and we talk about money, we want you to know exactly where it's going, all right? So if you have given anything over the last year here, and some of you maybe you even haven't, um, as best as we can determine, you're going to get a letter from me. Maybe you've already gotten it. And it describes in more detail these projects and others that we're doing. And over the next couple of weeks, I'll describe it to you. And here's what we're simply asking. If you call this church home, give something. If you can give a lot, give a lot. Let me tell you where we are right now. With what we know is either in or literally in the mail, we're at just over $20,000 already. That's incredible. We should hit $80,000. If we hit more, we'll just hyperfund a few of the other projects that are going on. Uh, the last couple of years, we've been able to go just over our goal. And this allows us to reach literally here, near, and far with the love and the grace and the goodness of God. And this is exactly why I think you should invite your friends to be a part of this church. We're generous. We love people. We put our money, our time, and our energy where our mouth is. And while we're not perfect, we're a pretty good church. And I can't think of a better community for your family and friends to be a part of, to consistently hear about the gospel of Jesus Christ and how it can literally change their lives. And so would you give? Would you seriously do that? We're going to take up an offering at the end of the service. If you want to give to the Christmas offering, you write on the check, Christmas. You write on the offering envelope on your seat, Christmas. You go online, you select the Christmas, My Christmas Gift 2019 line, Christmas gift. That's how you give. Everything else goes to the normal budget. And so listen, if you're trying to decide, do I give to Christmas gift or budget, you can choose, but we got to meet our budget needs too. So if you just move the money, it doesn't help us, all right? So give to where you typically give and use Christmas gift as an above and beyond gift. And when we all pull together, It'll happen. It'll be amazing, all right? So what I'd like to do right now is I'd like to go ahead and just make a hard transition straight to the message. But can we pray first? Would you do that with me? Would you bow? Father, thank you so much um, that we get to be a part of what you're doing in the world. God, we get to be a part of your family. Um, it's also an army of your love and grace extended. Thank you that most of us in this room, maybe not all of us, but most of us have more money than we need to just get by. And I pray, Lord, that out of the uh, overage of what you've supplied us with, we would be very generous. We would see great things happen. I pray for big gifts. I pray for small gifts. I pray for all of us to be a part of what you're doing. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. So uh, last week I started with this Christmas box, and I wanted to just start with it again because uh, under our Christmas tree right now in our house, which got put up this week, we were just a little bit delayed. We had family in, and we didn't feel like putting up the tree. So we got it. Jill got it up this week. It looks so good. But there's a handful of Christmas gifts, and one of them has my name on it. And it's about this size. So I was out for a few days this week when I got in last night. Nobody was in the room. I picked it up, and trying to figure out what's going on, right? What, what is this? Because it doesn't, it just speaks to so much promise, doesn't it? I mean, it can be a package about this size, but it doesn't even have to have in it what it represents. There could be a note in this box telling me what's really going on, like the new car that I want right there. Jill, Jill might say, I'm on board, right? And there, here's a picture. It could. It could be a very small gift. It might be a two-carat diamond ring for my wife. It's not. But it could be. It could be, Right? I mean, the, the gift represents so much. And this is exactly in similar form what happened when God sent his one and only son, Jesus. There was this baby in a manger. 
and represent so much potential. We have so many babies around this church, and they represent so much potential, but this particular baby represented so much more. Only a handful of people had any hint of what was really going on in the manger, in the stable, that night. That this baby that looked like every other baby would become the savior of the world. What an incredible gift that God gave us. How much potential existed in that gift that God gave us. There's a lot of ways to try to describe it and its impact. Today, I want to talk with you briefly, though, just about the love of God. We're going to turn in our Bibles again to the book of Ephesians. We've been parked there for a while as a church family. So Ephesians chapter 5, you can go there. You can grab your message notes that you got when you came in, and the passage will be there. Uh, I love this book in the Bible. It's written by the Apostle Paul to a church in the city of Ephesus. He's under house arrest, never quite alone, on his way to Rome to be tried and have his situation heard by the authorities in Rome. So he's left Ephesus. He's been gone for two years. He writes them a letter about his love for them, but the letter is really all about God's love for them. What does it mean that God loved us so much that he sent Jesus? And what does it mean that Jesus gave his one and only life so that we could have life? And what does it mean that he brought us out of darkness into his marvelous light? What does it mean? So here's this guy who loves this church, and he writes them this letter, and he just tries to get them to understand it. And today, I want to spend a few minutes in his words and Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 and 20. And really, I'm going to make one point. It's the most important point. And then we're going to break it down into three so what's, all right? But the first point for us is found in the first few sentences in this passage. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 through 20. Here's what our Bible says in the notes there, reading from the New International Version. For Follow God's example, Paul writes to the Ephesians church. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. I want to spend a moment on just those words. To do that, let me, let me ask you, how many of you just real quick, how many of you in this room play, have played an instrument? Like you, you have some skill. Yeah, that, that's a lot of you. I don't know why you haven't tried out for the band, but okay. Um, so, so here's the thing. I just want you to go back like when you first started playing music, right? And you were excited and you got that instrument and you held it in your hand and you were so excited. Now, now imagine, just this won't be true, but just imagine you're so excited, you're so good, and you get a letter in the mail, and it's from the Juilliard School of Music, finest school in the country, perhaps. I mean, unless you went to CCM, Cincinnati Conservatory, then that is, of course, there you go. Exactly. Mm-hmm, 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 I know. And so you get a letter from your favorite best school in America with music, all right? And here's what the letter says. Congratulations, we've discovered your interest in music. And we're going to give you an opportunity to come try out at, insert your favorite school, Juilliard, CCM, whatever, right? Um, We're going to give you an opportunity to try out. All you have to do is come and perform. And if you're good enough, we're going to take you in. We're going to give you a degree. We're going to set you up. Now imagine a couple of emotions, incredible excitement for the opportunity. And at the same time, right? Oh my goodness, there's a lot riding on this tryout. I mean, when I get on that stage in front of those adjudicators, there's a lot riding on this. The tension, I mean, you would prep, you would prepare, you would do all kinds of work, you would set your piece. I, I don't know enough music to describe all that you would do, but you would be ready. And just imagine the nervousness of that moment. So they You're in the room with a handful of other people who evidently got similar letters, and you walk up on the stage after they call your name. Whoo, what a moment, the tension. If I do this right, I get in to the finest music school in the country. And if I don't, I have blown it. Right? Now imagine, as you walk up on stage with all that emotion, 
one of the judges says, hey, hey, just before you begin, we wanted to let you know. You're so good, your reputation precedes you. Your tryout here is really just for us to see you, but you're already in. So as you play this piece, we want you to know that we've already made our decision. You're in. Now imagine what happens in that moment. All the, the fear of what you thought was riding on this moment goes away. Now, not all the tension goes away because you still want to impress and all that stuff. But the big so what of this moment, of what you thought it was and what it was going to be, disappears because you're already in. Now, what this means is, is for the next three, four minutes as you do your thing, play your instrument, you still want to do well because you take it seriously and all, but you do not now have that pressure that if I miss a note, strum incorrectly, get my timing off, I'm going to blow it. That's no longer a tension for you. It changes everything, doesn't it? It changes everything. I mean, you probably wish you could have known that to begin with. Because you probably would not have spent the day before and the night before in the same way. Had you known before, hey, this is just a formality I'm already in. But even in that moment, it allows you to breathe deep. Maybe even enjoy it a little bit. Maybe. Certainly, you're not on pins and needles. Now, the reason I talk with you about that example for a minute is because there's something fundamental to Christianity that gets missed all the time. And if we're going to fully unpack the love gift that God gave us with Jesus, you have got to understand this. You can be so close to what I'm talking about and miss it. And if you miss it, it's going to change everything for you about Christmas It'll change everything for you about Jesus. It'll change everything for you about Christianity. But if you get it, and you step into this reality that we're going to talk about, you get to breathe deep. I mean, there are still tensions, but not everything's not riding on it in the way that you may have thought it was. It allows you perhaps to even enjoy it. I mean, can you imagine a spirituality, a, a faith, a Christianity, a walk with Jesus that you actually enjoy like the, the result is joy in you Paul starts with this in mind with the few words he uses that if you read quickly sometimes you, you miss it and in fact have you ever noticed that you can read the Bible's truths faster than you can implement them <laughs> You can read them quicker than you can believe them. You can read them easier than you can walk in them. That's what happens with this. And yet it's so profound. One more time, the first verse. Follow God's example, therefore. Whenever the word therefore is in the Bible, very simply, you should probably pause and say, what's that therefore? So up to chapter 5, he's been telling us how awesome Jesus is. And how much God has done in Jesus. All motivated by love that changes everything. So follow God's example in light of all the stuff we've been saying about God. As dearly loved children. Now for the next few minutes, Paul's going to unpack something that if you miss this first point won't make sense. It'll actually become a burden on you. But if you get this point... This becomes a gift to you. Paul's going to tell people how to walk as Christians in three ways. What does it mean to walk as a Christian? But if you miss what he's saying in this first line, all the stuff he tells you to do to walk as a Christian is just stuff that you add to your life. That if you get it right, if you don't miss the note, then if you walk this way, you finally arrive at being a Christian. You might get there, you might not. If you get there, it may have been difficult. You may get there by the skin of your teeth, whatever. That might be what happens. 
And if you're not careful, that's the way you'll read this passage, but that is not what he is saying. He's saying something completely different. Just like the letter that maybe you would have received in the mail, just like just before you get up, they tell you already in, Paul is letting his readers in Ephesus know you are already dearly loved children. I'm not about to give you some instructions so you can become a dearly loved child. Nope, that's not happening here. I'm not telling you the three things to do to make God love you like a dearly loved child. Nope, that's not what's happening here. I'm not telling you what you've got to do, how you've got to walk so that you finally step into being a Christian. Nope, you are already dearly loved children. It's already done. You're already in. You've already crossed the line. Your identity has already been changed. You've already been brought from death to life. I'm not about to tell you the three things to do as you walk so you wake up from death and get moved over to life. That's not what I'm telling you. What I'm telling you is is you've already been brought from death to life. You've already been brought from darkness to light. You've already been made what was a foreigner has been adopted into the family. It's already happened. So in light of the fact that you are already dearly loved children, I want you to follow the example of your father. Sign your message notes. One of God's greatest gifts to us is his deep love for us, not based on anything we do. This is true love. The blank then is the phrase, as dearly loved children... That phrase, as dearly loved children, beats in order to become a beloved child. It beats it every day, all day long. And it's completely different. It changes everything. You're already there. Ephesian church, I want to tell you some things that I need you to listen to, but before I tell them to you, I want to tell you something about you. You're loved. And I got some things that might bristle your feathers just a moment. But as I'm telling them to you, I want you to know, I'm not telling them to you out of any other motivation and from any other perspective then, you are already loved, you're already in, you're already a child of God. What I'm telling you doesn't make you a child of God. What I'm telling you doesn't bring you to to life. You're already there. Let me tell you why this is so important. So much of religion in our world, so much of it gets passed off as authentic Christianity, is all about if you do the thing, if you walk the walk, if you get it right, if you don't mess up too bad, then you're in. And I get it. That makes sense to us. It seems just. In fact, it's very hard to understand a God that will love us before we did anything to earn the love. I mean, the closest thing that gets to it, right, is that newborn child again. That child hasn't done anything. My daughter hadn't done anything when she was born, our first child. And I held her, and, I mean, and you'll understand this, grandparents, parents, aunts, uncles, even perhaps close friends of people who had children, even if you have but, but I loved her so much, it, I could feel it. It almost hurt. But I mean, I could, it was palpable in here. It was instant. And that girl hadn't done anything other than cry. And in a few minutes, she was going to leave us a beautiful rainbow gift in her diaper. That was horrific. And it didn't matter to me. I thought it was the cutest, coolest thing I ever seen in my life. And every other baby in the world was ugly. That's what I, I mean, I've been to hospital. I've been to pastor. I've, I saw babies. I'm like, oh God, <laughs> beautiful. Um, that's the way I felt, Honestly. But when I saw this girl, I don't know if she was beautiful or not, but she was beautiful. She hadn't done anything. I loved her. Paul wants to say, before I tell you anything about walking, I want you to know about your starting place. You belong to your father. If you get this wrong in Christianity, Christianity becomes to you not a gift. It becomes a list of rules and obligations. You're very aware of the list, and there's a lot of content in the Bible about certain lists. In fact, in this chapter, there's going to be three things we're going to add to a list, three ways to walk. But if the list is to you how I achieve the thing, you've missed it. 
If the list is to you how I prove God should love me or that his grace wasn't wasted, you've missed it. Christianity is not, at its core, authentic Christianity is not what you do to earn God's love. How to clean up your life. Christianity is not about cleaning up your life. Instead, it's about a relationship with your Father who loves you in your mess, in your dirt, in your stuff, when you were dead, when you were in darkness, and he loved you so much that in that place, whether you did anything or not, and you couldn't do enough, even if you tried, he was going to embrace you and take you as his own. And then when he did, he was going to give you some opportunities to grow, develop, and change, because his love not only begins, but it develops and moves, but When you started down those paths, in this case, when you walk these three things, when there's a failure, you don't go back to the beginning, all the way back to, it's not like chutes and ladders, and you land on the wrong space, and now you slide back down the map, and you're back over here in darkness again, or without the love of God, or you're spiritually dead. That's not the way this works. Your relationship with God is based on his love. You are dearly loved children. End of discussion. When you gave your life over to Jesus, it was done. And he loved you enough and me enough to then at that point say, as my children, let me show you the wonders and the beauty of the life that I have for you. So here are some things to avoid. If you don't avoid them, I love you. And here are some things to gravitate towards. And if your heart is not captured by these things to gravitate towards, I I love you. This is so hard for us to understand because there isn't another love like this in our lives. What begins with parents looking at adorable kids, the truth is, is they become middle schoolers. And I love my middle schoolers. I do. God helps me. To not kill my middle schoolers as I love them. I'm exaggerating, of course, a little bit, but come on, parents, you know. What starts off with so much potential, the truth is, is that kid grows up with a mind, with a will, and sometimes it's foolishness, and sometimes it's rebellion, and sometimes people are just, even your own kids are just mean. And it's just harder. You kind of got to grow through what does love look like in this season, and We bring all those natural emotions and we put them on our heavenly father and we think that's the way he thinks about us. But that's not the way he thinks about us. It's not. That's not not biblical Christianity. Biblical Christianity is, is that this God of justice and holiness has an ability to restrain himself. He chooses to to not operate only in justice and holiness, but he looks at his people, his children, and he says to them, he says to me, he says to you, you're mine, I am with you, we're together. And this is the beginning point for understanding the next few verses that we're gonna read. Now let me tell you the other cool thing Paul's gonna do for us here. He's gonna tell us where we begin But he's also then going to give us power to do the, he's going to talk to us about the power necessary to do the thing he's going to talk to us about. So I haven't even got to the three things yet, right? And they're not complicated. We don't spend a lot of time on them. The key here is knowing where you begin and knowing that God loves you enough to help give you power to walk in the ways he's going to call us to walk. This would be like if you see somebody on crutches, right? They've had a a leg surgery, they've broken their leg, and they're, they're kind of moving along on the crutches, and you see them, and you go up to them, and you say, um, you should be whole. The problem with you is, of course, you don't think you're whole. So what we need to do is we need to show you videos of people who are walking without crutches. That'll help you. And we need to give you testimonies of people who used to walk without crutch, or with crutches, but they don't anymore. That'll help you. And, and, then, and then we need to show you how awesome it would be if you could run without crutches. And we need to talk about it and be motivating. Well, all that would be good, perhaps. But that ain't going to help a guy to walk without crutches. The problem in the guy with crutches is not in his head. It's that his leg is broken. And so what Paul's going to do is he's going to show us a way to walk. But then he's going to show us the power that enables us to do it. 
The power that comes from the motivation of a God who says, not achieve this list, but let me show you the beautiful thing I'm calling you to. And by the way, every step you take in that direction to that beautiful thing I want for you, I'm going to go with you and I'm going to help you and I'm going to give you my power to do it. And if you stumble, I'm there to pick you up. Now, this is very different. This is very different. This is very different than a boss that says, here's the objectives. Here's the first three steps. Here's what we're doing. Check in with me in three months. This is very different. This is the God that says every step of the way where I'm calling you to go, I'm with you. Everywhere I'm calling you to go, my power is going to be available. And I'm not asking you to get there so that I can love you and bless you. I'm loving you and blessing you now. I'm going to love you and bless you along the way. And I'm going to help you get to where I want you to go. And I will not give up. And when you give up, I'm not going to give up. And when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm with you. My rod, my staff, they're there for you, for your comfort and your protection. Goodness and mercy are actually going to follow you. That's the shadow you're going to cast. This is the life I have for you. It's very different Christianity. Some of you grew up in a Christianity that was about the list. And even if they didn't tell you that, that's what you heard. And some discipler or some influencer in your life said, this is the way it works. But that's not the way it works. The way it works is, is he loves, he continues to love, he walks with, and he empowers, even as he calls us to these beautiful places he wants us to go. So in your message notes then, blank numbered number one is, God has called us to walk in love. We saw that in verse 2. As dearly loved children, walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I want to talk to you two things about the power of the love of God for just a moment. So he spent several chapters with us just now, uh, up to chapter 5, talking about the way God loved us, but in two specific ways. I want to show you how God has called us to love. The first one is, is I'm just suggesting these for you, is in the area of forgiveness. God gave his son Jesus on a cross so that you and I could walk in the forgiveness of God. That that could be part of the love of God expressed to us, that he would forgive us our sins. He would make us alive through that forgiveness. And so one of the ways then that we're to model the love of God given to us is we're supposed to walk in forgiveness. And this is incredibly difficult to do. We understand that God has more power than us and God has more understanding than us and God has more mercy than us and all that's true. He has an endless supply. We're finite people living in a finite world that's very broken. We're broken. People around us are broken. The world is broken. And a lot of brokenness brings to a lot of hurt and pain. But the truth is, is children who have been forgiven are called to forgive. We're going into the holiday season. Imagine what would happen in your family if everybody in the family walked in genuine, honest forgiveness for all the hurt and pain that had been brought into your family, both to you and from you. Years ago, Jill and I were going through a particularly rough season in our marriage. So like uh, I do with any time I get stuck, I find wise counselors to counsel me. So we, we parked our butts in a counselor's office and we did couples therapy. Yes, oh, so much fun. Um, but I loved her enough and I loved the life we had. I didn't want to walk away. By the way, this year on December 30th, it will be 30 years for us that we will have been married. Isn't that awesome? 27 of the best years of my life. That's truth, friends. I know it's a joke. I'm dead serious, right? So we were in one of those seasons. And here, here's, here's, here's what our counselor basically said to us. You want to know what makes a great marriage? I'm going to tell it to you straight up. Great husbands are great forgivers. Great wives are great forgivers. You want a great marriage? You got to be a great forgiver, Period. Like, I got all the excuses, and, and I was so focused on how she had hurt me, and she was so focused on how I had hurt her, that what I really wanted to do was explain to her the depth of the hurt. And then I thought that if she could just understand it, then of course, because she's a pretty good person, even on her worst day, she wouldn't want to hurt me that way again. And I, I just believed if I could just make her see just how deep I had been hurt, maybe she would never want to do that again. Yeah, there was some truth in some of that, but... 
At the end of the day, there's no way for her to understand the full depth and even for me to express the full depth of all that had happened between us. And I come up to a point where I had to do for my wife what God did for me. And I wrestled with it and I struggled with it. And you may not, you're like, you might need to find another church because of this right here. I wrestled with it for a long time. I couldn't let it go. And the freedom in our marriage began when I looked at my wife and I said, I don't know if you're ever going to get this right, but I'm going to love you. I'm going to do my best to walk in forgiveness. Because I'm walking in forgiveness. I am not first offended. That's not the perspective I'm bringing to our conversation. I am first forgiven by God. See, what I was doing is I am first offended, and now I want to work towards forgiveness with you. No, no. I am first forgiven by God. Then I have some offenses I need to work through with you. And it changed everything. Now, at this point, we basically have a perfect marriage. Point number two. Walk. (laughs) I'm kidding, of course. Of course not. That's not true. But when I remember I am forgiven because I'm a child of God, I can't walk away from that. He's with me. He's going to pull me back if I try. I'm first forgiven, and then offenses happen to me. I don't know about you, but I find a little more power to then walk as a child who's been forgiven, to, in light of what my father has done for me, to do that for others. So the love of God was expressed to us in forgiveness is one powerful way that it was expressed to us. The other way that the love of God was expressed to us that I want you to deeply consider is, is that it was expressed to us in giving. John three sixteen for God so loved the world that he gave. Love gives. And so when Jill and I were working through how we're going to give our time and our money to most limited resources that we have, when I think about me being a giver, I think about first, I'm just going to give what I have left over to the stuff of God, the time I have left over, the money I have left over. But that's not what God did. God gave first and he gave his best. He gave his one and only son. While I was still sinning, that's when God gave to me his love and his mercy. And so as a child of God then, I'm supposed to bring God the first and best that I have. My time, my money. And it's not even about the time and money, but those are the currencies of my heart. Jesus said that money and heart go together and In our world, I bet he would say time and money and heart go together. So when I think about giving and I want to be like my heavenly father, I want to give to the things that he cares about because he gave to the stuff he cared about. So I want to ask you something. As a disciple of Jesus Christ, you are called in verse 2 to walk as your heavenly father. How is your forgiving going these days? And if it's not going well, I don't need you to beat yourself up. Today, I want to remind you that you are a child dearly loved by God who forgave you an awful lot. Stuff people know and stuff people don't know. Stuff that only you and he knows. And let that be the beginning point for your re-engagement of forgiveness. You're never going to get away from it as long as you live in this world. Are you first offended and then you try to work towards forgiveness? Or are you first forgiven? And now you work through the forgiveness of the offenses that come to you. I suggest to you it'll change everything. And are you giving what is left over or have you been given to? And since you've been given to, now you can walk with a giving and generous heart. Walk in love. Number two, walk in the light. Walk in the light. We're called to walk in love, and we're called to walk in the light. Verse number eight, if you don't mind, on your message notes, you can follow along. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It's shameful to even mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything by the light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That's why it is said, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So as dearly loved children, Paul tells the Ephesians church that they should wake up and look into the light. 
sometimes when Jill and I go to bed, I like to read. I'm a, I'm a reader, and I leave the light on, and it's a little frustrating, and she'll turn over and that kind of thing. So I've gotten smaller and smaller lights. This Christmas, my gift to her is a, one of those cave spelunkling lights that I can read. So it's just right there in front of me. Um, it's not, but it's also not a two-carat diamond ring. So somewhere between those two extremes <laughs> is where that's going to happen. And, uh, but, but you know what light does? It illuminates the page so you can read it. And we're supposed to walk in light. You've been raised from darkness into light. And the problem is, is there's darkness all around us. And as children who have been holy and dearly loved, we're called to forsake darkness and walk in light. Now, why is that? So that one day by walking in light, we can get to the light? No, 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 no. You've received light. Now don't let darkness have too much sway. Don't give it too much real estate. Walk away from it. Walk towards the light, so to speak. Now, there's a lot of ways that we can try to do this. But specifically, I want, I want to talk to you about the word discerning. Discerning. To walk in the light is to see the difference between light and darkness. It's to make an effort to put yourself where the light is shining and the darkness doesn't have a hold. It's really difficult to do this sometimes in a world so pervasive with darkness. And darkness can be tricky. Darkness can creep up on us and we don't realize it. We can be sitting out having a beautiful sunny summer day and it begins to turn and we don't realize that the light is turning at first. In fact, it has to sometimes get very dark. So what we're called to do is to wake up from slumber and to pay attention to how darkness might creep into our lives. So God's word then is a light that shines on us. It's the kind of light that helps us to move forward. So one of the ways God helps us is he gives us his word so that we can follow it, not to earn his love, but that in walking in his love, his word shows us the path to go. And then we're not captivated by this world as much. And so I've joked a hundred times from this stage that uh, five chapters of the word of God a day will keep the pastor away. It's true. Now, I don't think reading the Bible alone fixes everything. But when you read the Bible, one of the things that happens with an open heart and mind is the light of God begins to speak. And sometimes it will shine light onto the dark places of this world. In verse 3 and following of the passage there, we won't take the time to read it because I've only got a couple more minutes here. But Paul talks about two places that darkness shines, or that darkness shows up regularly, that this world in his day needed light to shine. And I'm going to suggest to you that we need it too. One of them was in the area of sexual integrity. So in this passage that is so beautiful about the love of God, think about this. Paul writes to the followers, do not be sexually immoral. Now, now we're right back on the list, right? That's what Christians are known for. And here comes the rules. But that's not what's happening here at all. As dearly loved children, let me show you how to walk in the light. Don't dabble in the darkness of sexual immorality. So that when a man and a woman come together in sexual union, God's design in the light would be that they would come together in a covenant of marriage, that was identified by God from the beginning. God put a man and woman together. They would come together in the presence of witnesses. This is a biblical model. And when that doesn't happen, what you're doing is you're linking part of yourself together, but not all of yourself. What the covenant does is it says, I'm choosing to not just connect with you physically, but I want the world to know that you and I are together. And I'm not just walking away. One of the primary reasons when I talk to people who are living together that they give is they're not 100% sure. And they think that by not getting physically married and just acting like they're married sexually, then if it doesn't go well, then they'll be able to walk away. And there's typically deep hurt in there somewhere. And they tell themselves that if I walk away, it's not going to hurt as bad because we're not really married. So Paul says this is the darkness of the world. And for his children, what he wants is, I want you to be sexually whole. I don't want you to divide the parts out. I want you to walk sexually pure so that for the Christian, a man and a woman together in the bonds of marriage is the only valid expression for sexuality. And anything that does out, goes outside of that introduces darkness into a person's life. 
Now, does God say that to us so that he can rob us of joy? Does God say that to us so that we can walk in condemnation? No, 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 no. We walk as children of the light already. And as children of the light, let me show you how light shines in the world best. It shines best in the world and in your life when sexual immorality is not a part of your way. You keep all that darkness out. Let me ask you, without trying to be judgmental, when you consider the people who've walked outside of God's bounds of sexual purity, has it brought them more pain or more life? The simple answer to the question is more pain. It has. And so God says, I don't want that for you. You're my children. I love you. I want you to walk in the light. Point number three in our final one, walk in wisdom. Walk in wisdom. Look at verse 15. Be very careful then how you live, not as, wise, as unwise, but as wise people, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk with the unwine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music uh, from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the final thing for us to walk in is to walk in wisdom. He says in verse 15, do not walk as unwise, but wise, but making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. So because the days are evil, you and I are going to be enticed to walk foolishly. But God loves us. So he says, let me show you where some of the foolishness is, the pitfalls and the trip up points so that you can avoid them. Here's one. Avoid drunkenness. Because when you're drunk, you'll do stupid stuff. A little observation from the last eight to 10 years around here, when there is, there's been infidelity in a marriage and they make it to my desk, I'm gonna make up a number, but it's pretty close. Probably 90% of the infidelity that's happened in this church in the last 10 years, alcohol was a prominent part in reducing the inhibitions that let people go further than they would normally go. And so we tell people all the time around here, drunkenness does not belong to the Christian way, not because by not being drunk, God loves you more, but because by not being drunk, you fulfill the commands of Scripture that allow you to be wise and not foolish. So are these rules to follow? No. Are these rules to follow? Yes. But the rules don't bring you the thing. The rules allow you to walk in the full gift that is God and the life that he has for you. And sometimes Christians have handled these kinds of topics in very mean and hurtful ways. And they have forgotten that all the rules of God flow from the heart of God and the love of God. You are dearly loved children. So walk with forgiveness because that's good for you. You are dearly loved children. So walk generous because that's good for you. You're dearly loved children, so walk with sexual integrity because that's good for you. You're dearly loved children, so avoid foolishness like getting drunk and doing stupid things because that's good for you. So the question comes down to, do you believe the gift of life with God that he has given you at its core is good? Do you believe that? The goal of Christianity and evangelism is to remind people that God is really at the core, good. And a life with God is very good. And the enemy has come alongside and said that this gift right here, what it really is if you open it all away, it's going to restrict you. It's going to corral you. It's going to make you less than what you could be. It's going um, it, to rob you of joy. And our job this year as Christians is to once again look at the gift of a life with God through Jesus Christ and say, God, thank you. Thank you for all the goodness that was in this gift. All the goodness. I, I knew a little bit of it. I, I recognized some of its potential. But I had no idea that a life with you could be so amazing. Parents, let me, let me tell you something. I'm, I'm close. I want you to live with that understanding about God. Because if you do, and it will be hard but if you do, it will be easier for your children to believe that life with God is actually beautiful, that God heart, God's heart for them is actually good. It's not about your perfection, but it's about you walking with all that God has said it means to walk with him, with joy in your heart unto the Lord. 
avoiding foolishness, walking in love, walking in wisdom, walking in light, so that your kids see you do it with your stumbles and your fails, and maybe they'll begin to believe that God really is good, and the life with him is really better. And when that happens, I'm telling you, this gift that he has given us takes on a whole new light. So how's your walk? Where'd you start from? Did you start from, I'm wholly loved by God, and here's the gifts, the further gifts he gives me so that I can continue to walk in his love? Or do you currently feel like God's somehow repressing what you deep down would like to do, and he's the oppressive force in your life versus the freeing force in your life that he wants from you more than he's ever going to give to you? If you do, if that's where you are, it's okay. That's why we have this church. But I just want to be blunt with you. You have not understood the gift of God. You've missed it somehow. Let's take this Christmas season. Let's open that package again and look at it in its beauty and how powerful it is to walk with the Lord. How amazing and good he is. And my hope is, is as you get it, as I get it, as my wife gets it, as our church gets it, then the community around us, your family, would begin to believe that life with God is the only wise way. The only wise way. Why don't you grab out your connect cards and let's take a couple steps together. <clears throat> Next at base says, uh, today I'm making Jesus my Savior and Lord. So if you're not yet in a relationship with him, I've tried to in just a, a surface way today to explain to you the heart that he has for you. And so because of the gift of Jesus, you can trust what Jesus has done for you that you could never do for yourself. He gave his life on a cross, he was resurrected from a borrowed tomb. And because of that work that he did in the cross and in the resurrection, you can have life. So the Bible says, believe that Jesus did the work for you. Believe that he is the Lord, that he's no longer dead, but he's been raised. And that belief, that trust, that faith, the Bible says will save you. You can't save yourself. You trust the Savior. If you want to do that, take your pen, check next step A that says, today I'm making Jesus my Savior and Lord. Put it in the offering bucket in a moment when it comes by and we'll close our eyes together and pray and give you a chance to say to God, God, I'm a sinner. Would you save me? I want to walk in your love. I want to unwrap the gift that you have for me all the way. How about next step B? It says today, I want to be baptized on February 9th. Now we're going to have a baptism in our services today, a couple of them a wonderful day to celebrate, but if you want to get baptized, you just simply check the box and we start the conversation. Next step C says, hey, I'll give to the Christmas offering. Check the box. We'll send you where some of the money's going to go and give you a link to give. Some of you, you know, like me, you don't carry cash and we'll send you a link how to give online. You can be a part of what God's doing. And next step D, I'll invite two people to Christmas Eve services, six or 8 p.m. identical services. If you have kids, come to the earlier one. It's easier to get them in bed early that way, but you can come to the late one too if you want. Um, if you want to make sure you have plenty of ample seats, 8 o'clock tends to, generally speaking, be not as crowded. Um, so come, all right, whichever one. Next step, E, please send me the link for our grow classes. The next one is December 15th. It's grow number three, discovering your design. Grow is four experiences, week one, two, three, and four. It's kind of a uh, uh, catalyst for growth spiritually. So check the box. We'll send you all that information. Why don't you set your card aside and there's some folks coming forward to give us an opportunity to give back to God and our tithe and our offerings. So I've talked a lot about money today and what our church is doing with it. But I want to remind you uh, one more way that the Christmas offering is going to help. Um, we hyper fund our counseling budget every year through the Christmas offering. So thousands of dollars every year goes out of this church to pay for professional Christian counseling for families that have hit a wall. And so there are dozens of people in this room who've benefited from that. Now, how are we able to do that? It's very simple. You give, we set this money aside. And when people are in need, I meet with them and pray with them. And I say these very simple phrases. I'm not a professional. I love you, but I am not the best help for you. But I can send you to somebody who's very good at this. And if you can't afford it, we will pay for it. And if you have insurance and you can't afford your deductible, we'll pay for it. We don't want this to cost you. We just want you to go and receive all that God has for you. And I'm only able to do that, friends. Our staff is only able to do that 
because of your faithfulness. So just thank you for serving this community that way with your giving. It is profound. It has literally saved marriages. It has pulled people back from the brink. It's not an exaggeration to say we've avoided suicides because of this. That's not an exaggeration. I just can't give you the names. So thank you. Your money's making a profound difference now and for eternity. Let's pray about our next steps on our offerings right now. Father, thank you so much for the gift of Jesus. God, I want to thank you that we are wholly loved children of God. And the pathway that you've called us to walk is not about robbing us of joy. It's not about restriction. It's not about what you can get from us. I thank you that you've called us to light and to love and to wisdom so that you can continue to unwrap the gift of life with you, so that you could give us true freedom, so we wouldn't get tripped up on the road of life. I pray, Father, that in this room, we would walk with the confidence that we are wholly loved, dearly loved children of our heavenly Father. And I lift up the men and women right now that are saying, Jesus, wash away my sins. I trust the work you did for me to save me, lead my life. I want to follow you. And God, would you take our next steps in our offering and cause them to go very far and wide for your glory? And Father, would you begin now even preparing hearts for what you're going to do on Christmas Eve Eve, where more and more people in this community will unwrap the gift of Jesus and see just how beautiful and good you really are. We pray all this in the name of Jesus, God's strong and holy son. Amen and amen.